Well, hello everyone and welcome to this month's edition of our Every Woman's Story community podcast, Every Woman's Story with Stonecroft. I am really excited because we're going to be leaning into some real life stories today that I relate to from our friend and author, Alexandra Kirkendall. Alex is a co-founder of the Open Door Sisterhood and author of several books, including Seeking Out Goodness, Finding the True and Beautiful All Around Us. Also, one of the books I love by Alex is called Loving My Actual Life, because it's the actual life that we actually live in. So welcome, Alex. We're glad to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, And Alex, I'm... I actually know her. So like, she's not just a great author and somebody who (laughs) we can't approach and know. Um, I had the joy of working alongside Alex when I was at MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, and just always appreciated her soulfulness. And so we're going to get to hear a little bit more about that. But before we begin, I want to just bring us back to who Every Woman's Story community is all about and who it's for. We believe that every person has a story and that your story matters and that you have a seat. You have a welcome to pull up a seat at Jesus's table. And so during these next few minutes, we're going to be trying to speak truth and authenticity and just our real stories. And we're going to be first hearing kind of a spark story that um, Alexandra and Alex, do you want me to call you Alex or Alexandra? I am game either way. Either way works for me. I answered both. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, they're both beautiful. So either way, but Alex, um, tell us a, a, a story that if you had to kind of say, that's a moment where like I came out where I knew that I, the real me was shining through. What would that story mm-hmm. be? Your spark story? Yeah. I, I loved this question because of course, then it gets to, well, who is the real me? Um, but, uh, uh, a moment from this summer came to mind. I was at a wedding and it was a wedding where, you know, I knew a lot of people and, but there were some people that I kind of peripherally knew. So I'd heard a little bit about the news in their lives, but I, I didn't really know them very well. And there was a moment at the wedding that was a very sweet moment where they had everybody who was married at the reception come to the dance floor to take a group picture. And then they did um, a dance. And if you'd only been married an hour, you had to sit down. And if you'd been married a year, sit down. So that the the couple that had been married the longest in the room was the ones left dancing. It was very precious, honoring, marriage celebratory kind of thing. And so we were going to, my husband and I were going to get to be part of the group picture. And I saw a woman standing by herself. And right away, I remembered a piece of information I had heard through the grapevine. I did not know her well. And I thought, this is probably a hard moment for her. Um, It just had been a hard year in her marriage. And she was there alone. She was not there with her husband. And the rest of her group that she had come with were all on the dance floor getting their picture taken. And so I just walked over to her and I really didn't know the details, but I didn't need to know the details of her situation. And I gave her a hug. And I think I probably said something like, I know this is probably hard, just recognizing the moment. And because I think she wasn't sure, like, 
does she know? Does she not know? Like, why is she hugging me? What, why? I don't really know her that well. And I could just feel her relax a little. And then she started to cry. And of course I started to cry because if someone's crying, I'm going to cry with them. And, and that was it. That was the moment. And the host of the wedding told me later that this woman had pulled her aside and said how meaningful that was to her. But I think for me, my job often when I'm either writing or in a group, just out and about is I tend to have an eye for the person who may be on the outside. The one who even in the middle of a really good thing, that was a good moment. So I don't want to say that that wasn't a good thing that the bride and groom had that moment. It was, but it just wasn't great for everyone. It was a great for most of the room, but it wasn't great for everyone. And so to recognize that, because I think that's how we connect with each other is to say, I see this might be hard for you. And I'm not going to discount the goodness that is there for everyone else. Even for me, it was a good moment for me as a married woman. And at the same time, I'm going to recognize that it may be hard for you. And these two things can be true at the same time. And I can hold that tension and I'm okay with that. And I've just noticed that not everybody can hold that tension, but I can. And so I often try to be that person. And so I think that for me is um, is a way that I connect with the person of Jesus because I see him doing that over and over and over again, that he looks at people and says, I know this is hard for you right now, and I don't want you to be alone in it. I'm here with you. I may not be experiencing the same circumstances or the same pain, but I'm with you in the grief and I can share in that and I can enter into it with you. And so that, um, I think was just a moment where I thought, yeah, that probably characterizes what I try to do and who I try to be as I move through the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. So some of us are learning that skill, Alex, I am one of them. I can either be like, oh man, it's really a problem or, Hey, it's going to be fine. Let's just fix the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know your first book, at least the first book I was aware of, of yours, which mm-hmm. was the artist's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like could, could you test this idea? It does your own, like where you came from your own origin story. Did that poise you to be better at holding these tensions than maybe some of the rest of us who are behind you and figuring this out are? I have to believe so. I mean, I have to believe that my story shapes who I am. And so the the very short version of that book is that I grew up back and forth between the U.S. and Spain. My dad was an artist and I didn't have much of a relationship with him, but I really, really wanted one. And um, the kind of that cross-cultural element, but also that issues of abandonment and identity and who am I and who defines who I am and who loves me and how am I loved? All of those questions were stirred up in that book. And because they were stirred up in my life, the book is just a reflection of my actual life. Um, So yes, I think I have always had a tender heart for people who are asking those questions of, does anybody notice me? Does anybody see me in my pain and my grief? Does anybody love me? And I had a very wonderful mom. And so she 
gave me all she could and she was a great mom. And I can hold that tension with a mom is also not a dad and that I needed both. And so um, as I came to faith as a teenager, I realized we all have wounds that we bring to the cross. And this just happens to be mine and that God meets me there and he loves me. And I didn't have a hard time believing that God loved me and loves me. I think maybe because I did have a loving parent uh, and a lot of people with absent father issues, sometimes that correlates. But for me, that wasn't part of my story. Uh, but in God's love is where I found healing. But it's been a lifetime of healing. It wasn't at 16 when I accepted Christ. It was and still is. I just got back from a trip to Spain. I mean, it still is part of my story and part of my process where I keep going back to God and keep saying, do you see me? Okay, you see me. I, thank you. And then I can then go be that person for other people and extend his love and his grace in that way. Whether I verbalize that that's my motivation or not, I am still an extension of God's love, even if the person on the receiving end doesn't know that it's in Christ or because of Christ that I'm motivated to do that. They don't necessarily need to know, um, it still is an extension of God's love. Yeah. I'm just curious, Alec, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mary. No, I'm you just, go ahead. I'm curious in your story. Um, you know, I have to imagine, you know, in, in a lot of our ministry work, we, um, we tend to, we're walking with people through the hard, you know, we think of those stories like Hagar, where she's sitting alone in the wilderness, you know, and is wondering if God sees her and you talk about feeling seen by God. And so would you mind unpacking that for our listeners? Um, for those who might be watching, you know, when you say that, what does that mean for you? If they're wondering if God sees them, you know, what might that look like or mean for them? Mm -hmm. I think there, you know, there's a practice that some people do where you go back to hard moments in your life. And you, and you sit in them and you ask, where was Jesus in that moment? Where was he? And um, that's a very powerful exercise to do. But I think over and over again, I ask, God, where are you right now in this? And what is your posture towards me and towards other people right now? And just that really simple question, because I am growing in my knowledge of God's heart. I won't, this side of heaven, I'm not going to fully know, but I'm growing in my knowledge of God's heart. When I ask myself that question of what would Jesus' posture be if he was standing right here in this room, in this conversation, or just with me, if I'm alone, I quickly can see his kindness. I can see his gentleness. I can see his self-control. And that helps me to feel seen and known. Now, from a really practical standpoint, um, I don't want to paint that God is Santa Claus, that you pray for something and then he answers your prayer in the way you ask. At the same time, I think when we hold this posture of openness and we say, okay, God, I asked for this and you didn't meet it, this need in the way that I wanted or asked for, to still ask that question, where was God in that? And where is he now? And what I often learn <laughs> over and over again is that what I think I need is not what I actually need. It's what I want, 
But what I need, God is meeting my needs. And it gets through those layers of, this is a want that I have that, oh, sometimes it's a desperate want that I have. And I don't want to diminish people's desires, like the desire to be a mother, for example. Like that's a deep desire that many women carry and it does not come to fruition in the way that they pray for and ask God for. At the same time, I think we can say, God, what, what do I need in this? And how are you meeting me? And how are you working in ways that I am not seeing and that are unexpected and surprising? And that, you know, I, work in my day job. I work with foster families. Like that's a, a story for so many women has been, I became a mom, but it was not in the way that I expected. And for them, it was because they opened their hands and they said, okay, God, you are not answering my prayers in the way that I want. And yet I still have this desire. Show me your ways, show me your path. And then they take that next step and that next step in years down the the road, they look back and they say, God built my family. He just did it in a way that was different. So I think that, does that answer your question? Yeah, that was a fantastic unpacking. You know, I think as, you know, I think about all the things that I trust, I don't see how it's built. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I trust my home. I don't, you know, I, I do not pretend to even be an architect or a mm -hmm. contractor, but I trust it to to do the to function the way it's supposed to, um, without having to see it. And what I hear you saying in that is, there's times when like you might only know in retrospect that God was there and God saw it, you know, and it's on the other end of it. But He was building the whole time. He was like holding the whole time. He was coming along, um, and so that's what that makes me think of. So no, that was a beautiful unpacking. Thank you. And I find that what I need to work on in that is to stop and notice. Oh, wait, yes. God is providing for me. <laughs> he is He is meeting this need because I'm like, okay, well, on to the next prayer request, Santa. Like what I have to stop and recognize, and maybe it's because it's not so obvious, but sometimes it's kind of obvious and I've already moved on to the next request and the next desire. And I just know as a parent, when I give my child a gift, I like a thank you, <laughs> but I know that God does not operate the same way that I do as a human, but I do think that it is in my best interest and, and for a richer life for me to appreciate all the ways that God is providing for me in answering my prayers. So Alex, I'm so struck. I was actually thinking about you the other day, not even thinking about this time that we were going to have. You just came to mind because of something you once said that really stuck with me. And I'm really struck by what I would call hallmark courage in your life. The thing that struck me was, I remember, I think it was when you were writing Artist Daughter, when you were bringing forward this story of your childhood that poised you to be a noticer of those on the edges. Um, and I remember talking to you and saying, this is so great. And you said something to the effect of, I wrote it out of sheer obedience. <laughs> it's scary to look at the stuff in our lives that puts us in these beautiful places to be healed and then to be agents of healing. But it's really scary to sit with them and say, will anybody, <laughs> will God show up if I, if I try to sit with the hard moment? Um, and if he does, will I recognize him and will I know what to do or will I just be a wreck? Um, talk to us about how you found 
and how you continue to find the courage to look at things and go, I'm not what I want to be yet. Mm-hmm. This isn't what I want it to be yet, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my my most recent book, Seeking Out Goodness, part of what I looked at was this idea of God asking us to think on what is true. What is true is not necessarily what I want. It's not what I hope for. <laughs> it's what is. Um, it's the world on the world's terms when I'm thinking of my circumstances. Um, and if I am to believe that God is who he says he is, then it is okay to face the truth. I don't have to be afraid of the circumstances. Now, my human nature makes me afraid and I don't want to diminish fears. I'm a person who has operated out of fear a lot. Um, And at the same time, to walk in faith is to trust that God is with me every step of the way. And so I think that is the lens that has helped me to say, what is true? Well, when I look at, when I really ask myself, and then I'm honest in that answer, my own flaws are going to come up really fast. (laughs) And so it is standing in the confidence that God has done his work over me, that I don't need to be perfect in my humanity. He doesn't expect that of me. And so when I stand in that truth, that his grace covers me and is sufficient for me, then I don't have to be afraid of what might be seen as a flaw or as a shortcoming or as something that I wish was different. Now, that doesn't mean if I wish was something was different, that I don't do something to change it. He also gave me free will, which is agency, which means if I have control over something and I can change it, then go ahead and do it. So there is that that balance of in humility. And for me, humility is just recognizing God is God and I am not. In my humility, I can say, yeah, I'm not great at that. Or I could have done better in that conversation. I'm sorry. Or, wow, I've got some work to do. And not be afraid of it, but just recognize this is an opportunity. And I'll tell you, I'm 49 years old and I'm finally able to do this. Like, this isn't something I could do 20 years ago. So I don't know if it's just life lived and recognizing we're all on this journey and nobody's going to ever arrive. Or if it's just year more years with the holy spirit and Mm -hmm. recognizing Mm -hmm. he has god has done something in me and continues to work in me and through me in ways that only propel me forward to say i'm okay i'm okay in all of my imperfection yeah well i wanted your article We didn't exactly plan this, everybody, but her article like mirrors this posture. And so I want to quote a couple things from your article that really stood out to me. You're talking about the woman at Zarephath and how, you know, she didn't ask for God to provide everything she needed forever and ever. Amen. She, um, she didn't ask for her son to be healed when she was out collecting firewood because that wasn't what was needed yet. She just did the thing in front of her. Um, and you said, so, you know, like this example and others, you can pour your heart out and say, basically, God, I need you. And your quote was, Lord, I'm terrible at this. (laughs) 
<laughs> fill me with your self-control, give me your goodness. And, um, and I, what I really related to is like, we can just say that and say, we're desperate for you, God. And then hopefully, and we, God does show up and, and we receive, you know, truth through his word, truth through other people, through the, through, through the Holy spirit. And we can just go, yay, good. I'm good. But as you said here, it takes more discipline to ask God to work on my character, to change my tone of voice, to improve the countenance on my face. It takes a dose of humility and trust to recognize I need his provisions in ways that shape me, not just that meet my needs, so that I can face the world. So Alex, I looked at this and I, sometimes we're going through seasons where we're like, I'm good and things are going great and there's favor and there's ease in my life. And then we go through other series where we're like, you know, of times where it's like, okay, that's today's way I learn about my character. That's right. And then there's mm -hmm. the next days. Mm -hmm. How do you find this discipline to show up and say, God, it's more than what I need from you. It's, it's, it's not just what I need from you. I need you to work on me mm -hmm. and I need that to be something I'm willing to sit with. How, how do you do that? Well, I, you know, I live in a family with five other people who are willing to tell me all of the ways that I am uh, messing up. So I would say surround yourself with people if you're not already that are uh, painfully honest with you. Uh, but the example I used in, in there was, you know, an argument with my husband where I'm not giving him my best. I'm giving him my gut and my gut wasn't serving either of us well. My just instinct, anger, uh, in, a little bit of revenge, even like if you're going to treat me this way, then I'm going to treat you this way too, kind of feeling. And I know that that's not the kind of wife I want to be. It's not the kind of person I want to be. And sometimes in our own selfishness, I, I don't have enough there to muster up a desire to change. But when I know it's impacting the people I love in a way that I don't want it to, that is a motivation for me. So I think one thing is to ask myself, who am I influencing today? And as a mom, it's going to be my kids. As a wife, it's going to be my husband. As a person who works for an organization, it's going to be my coworkers. Where are my circles? And am I giving them the best version of me that I can? Am I loving them in a way that is joining God in what he's doing in their lives? And, and I don't know what he's doing specifically in everyone's life, but this is what I do know. He makes all things new. And his work on earth is to redeem. So are my words redemptive? Is my posture redemptive? Is my tone? Again, if if I'm focusing in on what is true, because God's challenged me to do that, I quickly am like, yeah, no, mm -mm, not redemptive in any of those categories. Okay, Lord, I want a pure heart. Through a pure heart, I want to ask you, please help me do this. Because I can't muster up niceness. I can only do it, you know, I can do a tablespoon's worth, but I can't do a whole life changing's worth. That has to be the Holy Spirit in me doing a work in me. So I know that that is the source of self-control. That is the source of patience and gentleness. And so I can go back 
and say, okay, Holy Spirit, do a work in me. Um, so I would say sometimes it's just the motivation of how is my own behavior impacting people I care about? And if it's not the, I love them. Sometimes I love them more than I love myself, right? Like that motivates me more than just because it's not good for me. Um, so that can be a spark an angle that I take <laughs> a mind game, maybe, I don't know, of looking at it through how is my character playing out in this family? I know we're getting close um, to the end of our time. It's It's been so hard because I told Naomi, I was like, I'm writing down quotes. Like there's so many good quotable things here. It's amazing. Um, you know, one of the things that we just love to do is that we just, um, on top of like your spark story and top of like the, the message that resonates deeply in your heart, um, we just kind of like for our listeners to like connect with you a little bit better. And so we like to ask, like on your best day, like all cylinders firing, like you are just feeling yourself, like this is amazing. Um, what's happening? What are you doing? Is it something you're wearing? Is it something you're um, participating with? Who's with you? What does that look like? Well, I will say I have a compañera, a, a companion, I guess, girlfriend. That's the English word, probably. Girlfriend that um, is kind of my go-to person where I feel like when I'm working with her, we are at our best. And her name is Krista Gilbert. And we have a podcast together and we do retreats together, but we are very different from each other. And so we refine each other in a beautiful way. And she challenges me and pushes me out of my comfort zone a lot. So I would say for sure she would be with me. Um, I did like the question of what would you be wearing? Because who doesn't like to talk about what they'd be wearing? Um, and I've got to go with, this isn't my normal look, but if I'm feeling like, no, this is it, this is me today, um, it would have to be like New York chic, all black hair slicked back in that Spanish bun. And um, I would just be feeling the artsy yet very cool vibes. And again, I don't feel like that's the normal me, but in the fantasy me, that's what I would be wearing. Um, I and I think <laughs> <laughs> we would be, we would be talking to women about, um, about meeting the moment about believing that God is with them to meet that moment. Not that they have what it takes, because sometimes we don't have what it takes, but that God does have what we need to meet the moment, the challenge. And I'll say we, she and I, you know, I'm 49, she's 51, 52, maybe. Um, we're in a stage of life where uh, things around us that we used to be able to control, we can't control anymore. So whether that's family dynamics, whether it's our children, whether it's our bodies, that's a big one for women our age, that things are just changing. And so we have to have this posture of, okay, God, you need to meet me here. It's either that or shrink back. And I don't mean that that means you need to be loud. I just, I want people to know that strength can be a quiet strength. But just that I believe that God is here with me and he is going to give me my bread for today. He's going to give me what I need for today. It gets back to that story. Like, Lord, give me what I need for right now. And that we would be encouraging women in that, in our best moments that um, 
that they are not alone, that God sees them, and that God provides for them in ways that are unexpected. And so it's putting on that lens of looking for how is he providing in a way that I might not have even imagined. I see so many parallels with the biblical story that you wrote on with the widow at Zarephath. You know, you talked about being motivated, Alex, by others. She mm -hmm. was motivated by her son. And then by, um, you know, because of the presence of God and your ability to experience how he's showing up for you in the hard, you're willing to go do hard things. And she's like, wait, what? You want me to do what? Mm -hmm. And yet she does it and she doesn't think too far into the future. One other thing that really resonated with me too, is that you're kind to your younger self mm. that to recognize that God is revealing himself to us, but we are the ones who have the, we have the lenses that have to come off layer by layer by layer. And we can't blame our 25 year old self or our 17 year old self or name any age that we just have to go. But today God, you're letting me see you more clearly. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. <laughs> you know, what else would I want, right? Than that. That's amazing. So um, yes, uh, Elisa and I have been like jotting down hashtags. I particularly love the who am I influencing today? And what am I influencing them with? So speaking of that, we do close with a your pick of a mm -hmm. passage from the Bible that you'd like to influence us with and that we'll read in kind of the divine listening, the Lectio Divina style. And uh, so we'd love for you to choose that and read it. And then Elisa will do that. And then I will close. Okay. Well, I selected Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm reading out of the message translation, Ephesians 2.10. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. And then from the New Living Translation, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And to God's word, I will say amen. So Alex, it has been a joy to be with you again and just to see the continual unfolding that God is doing in your life to hear it through your words, to hear the stories that have emerged since we were last hanging out together, which was when you were just starting your little family. And now like your oldest, just give us the range, the oldest, the youngest. Uh, the oldest will be 21 this month and Whoa. the youngest just turned 12. Oh my. You just have basically a party in your house between. <laughs> we do. We have our own sorority. I call it because yeah. uh, I have all girl, four girls and me, my, um, we had uh, an Italian exchange student, a girl, this last year. So we had five girls this last year. And my husband was like. I love it. He loves love it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, a girl dad. Um, he is a girl dad. Yep. <laughs> by choice or by chance. Either way. 
Well, thank you for being with us. And then just for you who've been joining us, you can find Alex's article um, and uh, just this this truth for today on the Every Woman's Story website and um, also see it on Instagram and Facebook. And I just want to encourage you that your story matters. Your story may be like Alex's and you may be going, yes, she's my soul sister and we didn't know each other until now. It may be totally different, but whatever it is, God is working within it and you are welcome at Jesus's table. So keep joining us, keep unpacking authentic stories like Alex's and stories from scripture um, in the Bible. And uh, Elisa, good to be with you again, friend. So glad to be here. Yeah, and have a great month ahead. Bye.